Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the gospel narrative. This is Gospels part 47. Last week we left off in the middle of Jesus beginning a series of teachings that are based on the parable concept of how rabbinic thought is organized. And just a quick little refresher, if people are still wrestling with this, we should think about in the previous weeks that parables, at least in what we know about Jesus in the messianic light, are not meant to confound or to confuse the listener, the audience. He is and he is primarily concerned with letting the teachings of his parables to enlighten the people on what God's kingdom is going to be about and is about uh, with him inaugurating it during his own ministry. Uh, We left off in the middle of one of those parables and we're getting ready to pick right back up and continue that theme in the next one. Yeah, these are pretty interesting. And and also by way of review, we also know that we've gone through a, a few parables and there's not a whole lot of different messaging. It's like the messaging all seems to be kind of consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, we're going to see more of that. So let's go ahead and start. Uh, this one is Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, and Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Did you have something? I'm just going to say, um, like we've said in weeks past, we have a PDF of the notes that we use for each episode, but a, a, right. a common listener has offered up a new phrase for these notes that I think is going to stick from here on out. So please reference your okie dokie notes if you want to follow <laughs> along. That's right. Shout out to Noah. All right. So yeah, Matthew thirteen thirty three, Luke 13, 20 to 21. Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew. So here we go. I'm reading from the Okie Dokie notes. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay, some obvious things. This is another parable, and it's also about the kingdom. Surprise! And um, now, I guess, I mean, this one is so short, there's not a whole lot to talk about here. Uh, Let's maybe just start working our way through the piece parts. Number one, you have uh, leaven, which is, uh, what's what's the modern word we use for that, Samuel? Is it yeast? Yeah, yeast. There you go. It escaped my mind. So you got something like yeast, leaven, whatever. Okay. It represents... You know, what we've been saying all along, things like the gospel or the message of the kingdom, and we've even tried to focus on, yeah, and 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 it's talking about the now kingdom, the one before the big fulfillment on Jesus' return. And then we have, uh, okay, it's a woman. She's, she's the one that's hiding the leaven. Now, this one, what does the woman represent, Samuel? Oh, if I'm thinking back on our previous talks about parables and there being characters like a sower involved, that's typically God or Jesus. And so in this case, since the woman is the main character, 
I would assume that it's God slash Jesus in this case, too. Yeah. Yeah. And now I can see it. There's zillions of people out there who hated the shack. And now all of a sudden they hate our podcast, too, because (laughs) Jesus is a woman in the parable, right? (laughs) Now, I'm just kidding. I don't even care what you think about the shack, whatever. Uh, But in this in this parable the the woman would represent jesus okay uh then there's uh unleavened flour and that would represent the same thing it has in the past like with a, a field or or whatever it's the world or or maybe you could say humanity however you want to look at that and a little side note samuel do you have any idea how much 3 measures of flour is uh not off the top of my head no it's like eight gallons. That's a lot of flour. That's, I mean, I don't know who this woman was baking for. For for Kentucky reference, that's almost two five-gallon buckets worth. <laughs> oh, that was good. So, yeah, that's a lot of flour. I don't know what she's baking. But then the leavened flour, okay, that represents more like the mature kingdom, meaning... As, as we start with the world or humanity and, and the leaven gets in there at the beginning, as it starts to work its way through and it starts to leaven the whole bunch, well, the kingdom matures until ultimately Jesus will return. So it's, gonna, it's like the thing that's going to bring on the not yet kingdom. And then, I, I don't know, I... I I mean, it feels like a repeat. Once again, we see Jesus, he's trying to communicate the idea that the kingdom is not coming all at once in some sort of grand majesty, right? It's going to start small. It's going to grow over time. Now, a kind of an interesting additional feature of this particular parable is that it, it, it gives you the sense that ultimately the kingdom is going to come to rule all or affect all the same way that leaven does with the flour. So that's kind of a cool picture. And now just to to say it out loud, we had the parables about the sprouting seed. Remember the guy plants and then it seems like the earth just takes over and then he harvests later. We had the mustard seed grew into a tree and you had the birds nesting in the shade and all that. The leaven, they're all three saying the exact same thing. And in fact, we also had the parable about the wheat and the weeds, and it too is saying a very, very similar thing. Uh, We're just not including it yet because we've got an explanation of that coming up. Jesus is going to do it himself, so we're kind of waiting on that. Anyway, the point is, and I know we said it before, we're changing. Jesus is changing preconceived ideas that Jews had in his day. They thought the kingdom was coming in power. It was going to wipe out the Romans. They were going to rule from Jerusalem. It was going to be great. But they had preconceived ideas. Jesus is changing those. And, and I think that in some sense, if, if, we're, if the parables actually are saying what we're saying they're saying, then maybe Jesus is actually changing our preconceived ideas today as well, because we have different ideas about what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's helping those of his generation, and I guess we could say any generation, understand how the kingdom is 
now and not yet, and how it is it, it has to grow to its fulfillment. And of course, it sort of infers this invitation. We need to join in with what's happening, play our role in helping it grow. Samuel, what is our role in helping the kingdom grow? Um, will we repent ourselves and then we seek to make disciples who do the same? Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, there's another parable. Now, I know that we can't definitively answer this, but should we treat Jesus's back-to-back-to-back parables saying the same thing as something that he would have done real-time with the listeners, like he would have use these parables in succession to reiterate a point that people would have struggled with, and that's why he said the same message over and over, or how we maybe shouldn't have this such a tight grip on how the Gospels accounts were collected that this could also be seen as like a collection of all the different kingdom parables that Jesus said throughout his ministry, and this is like a a quick summary of all of them based on the same narrative? Yeah. Well, I think for sure the safest thing for us to do, the wisest thing for us to do is to lighten our grip on what we're seeing in the Gospels a little bit and just say, you know what? Maybe he did say them all together, but we're just going to look at it as if he didn't because we don't really know. And I mean, you can think of it, just imagine he might have changed the parables. He might have been saying the same thing in different ways because he was speaking to different audiences. Or you could look at it as, well, no, he was singing, speaking to one audience, but there was, there was a, a variety of people there. And so each parable would have spoken to a different subset of the people individually. Or, and I actually think this is, well, con- considering my own experience in life, I think this one is even more likely. I think it is possible that he spoke them all together in a row because I can't tell you the number of times in my life I have said a thing or let's say taught a thing. People have heard it, or so you think, and then you come back and you say it again later and they act like they've never heard that before. And then you come back and you say it again (laughs) Act like they've never heard it before. And the next thing you know, they're coming and telling you something like they thought it up. And it's something you've already said to them five times in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the idea of repeating them over and over is just a, a picture of humanity. You need to hear this thing, especially when it's something that's outside what you, you already think you know. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I don't know. Who, who's, to, who's to say? Yeah. Just what some... I wouldn't give for a time machine. Just interesting to muse about as we go forward. It is. So I'm going to muse on down to the next bit. Matthew 13, 34, and 35, and Mark 4, 33, and 34. And I think on this one, I'm actually going to read them both. They're fairly short, and they really do say it in in a, a different and unique way. So let's start with Matthew. He says this. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed. He said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, Mark 
similar but different. Let's hear this. He says, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, so let's try and take stock of what we've been reading here. It says, so in case you missed it, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables (laughs) and pretty much only in parables. And the parables were about the kingdom. But now, you know, maybe not quite so lighthearted. He spoke as much as they were able to hear. Now, Samuel, when you hear that sentence, does that make you think that he is trying to to get through to them and be clear, bring clarity, or do you think he's trying to confuse them? I sense a lot of empathy there with trying to be genuine with the message. Yeah, he he gave them as much as, as they could take. And again, the parables, it's a tool to break through the dullness. And so, uh, and, and you know what? Here's another thing. I know people probably thinking we're just beating this parable horse to death, but whatever, this is good information, and you're going to be glad that you listen through it someday. Here we go. In Jesus's day, uh, you know, a lot like today or any other day, there was more than one way to teach. There were two particularly popular ways. And so let's talk about those for a second. One of them was very exacting. Every little detail mattered. And so if we were going to try to think about that in modern terms, we might think about things like, I don't know, college courses or seminary classes, or maybe if you're going to get certification in something special, I don't know, whatever, stuff like that. But the other way was less rigorous. And the overall point was was a lot more important than, than worrying about all of the underlying details, right? If I can just give you a picture of the forest, I don't need to worry too much about the trees. So those things, you know, uh, the uh, maybe today if we thought about things like, you know, just telling stories or uh, if you've heard somebody speaking and they're giving illustrations. And I, honestly, I think if you just think about Uh, listening to songs on the radio or seeing movies, that is like a form of teaching. And so the crowds in all of this that that we've been reading here, the crowds are getting things like stories and illustrations and songs and movies. But the disciples, when they're, you know, in private with Jesus, they're getting the things that are a lot more like the college courses or the seminary classes or the certifications, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, well, we'll talk more about that in a second. Just, I would be interesting to hear, I would be interested to hear how people view this. Nobody's ever really talked specifically about this to us. This podcast, we're trying to split the difference. I mean, on one hand, we're trying to make it easily accessible, kind of make it conversational, throw in some stories, some this, that, whatever. So it's, it's easy to get the picture, but at the same time, we're trying to put in a lot of detail so that people actually have something to stand on, something to grab onto, anchor to. And so 
whether it's working or not, it's hard to say. It's a hard thing to do, but we're trying to strike a balance between both mm-hmm. of those kind of teachings that would have been popular back in Jesus' day. And let me just add that from what I know with how dynamic the journey of life is, it seems like there are going to be seasons of life where you're going to gravitate towards one of those ways of learning right. than the other because I have had seasons where I was all for the exacting wanting to get every little minute detail and scripture memory and everything and I'm currently in a season where that isn't as much a gung-ho for me and I'm more about the stories and the big picture and the illustrations and everything so just just throwing that out there that so people don't have unnecessary tension with if they're not experiencing one or the other that I mean life is quote-unquote long that's right yeah yeah and you know what personality differences matter all kinds of stuff all kinds of stuff so yeah it's a it's good image to have in our heads now part of the reason i told you that is because of that line in mark where he says that privately he explained everything and and so again we got to get get that image out of our head that somehow jesus is you know telling the crowds one thing because uh, he's going to tell his disciples all the real stuff, like he's somehow concealing from them or whatever. That's not it. Mark writes that he explained everything, and and maybe I want to say it this way. He explained everything, not just the parables. Everything. His disciples, they're just involved in a very different kind of relationship with him. They have unfettered access. Jesus can spend the time to get down in the details with them, teach them, and show them. And by the way, this is going to be really important for them to continue the message once he is gone. Okay, now I'm reading ahead in the story a little bit, knowing that he'll be gone, but I'm just saying, they were getting the deep super detailed view of everything, and it's because of all the time and walking together that they were able to do. Crowds, he had to find a way to to get the point across in a short amount of time, and so parables were perfect for that. And that lines up exactly with Matthew's account uh, in Matthew 13, verses 10 and 11, when the disciples asked, like, why are you teaching in parables? And he answers in verse 11, he says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to yes. them it has not been granted. Like yeah. That's the exact same message. He's like, you get me essentially 24 hours, seven days a week. These people don't, so I have to, I have to approach them differently. Yeah. Uh, and then I just also want to add, if, if Jesus really was explaining everything to them, I think that we as followers and studiers of the text, especially the Gospels, maybe need to take a step back and, again, not give the disciples as hard of a time about being idiots, because <laughs> if if he really did explain everything, then that seems to have a disconnect with, you know, how we're going to wrestle with those passages that says that they didn't understand and that kind of thing. Right. And for sure, we are going to run into passages where you're just going— Wow. You know, being able to look back at this with hindsight, it really does seem like you guys just weren't paying attention. You know what? Sometimes it really is going to look that way. But yeah, we got to give them we got to give them a lot more room to know what the heck they're talking about and try to understand what's really being said in there. 
But yeah, uh, so that's really good. And I, oh, I wanted to talk real quick about this. Matthew, you know, I can't remember. We've done a lot of these podcasts now. I can't remember how much we focused on this. Matthew has kind of this signature move where he... He'll, he'll be talking about a thing, and then all of a sudden he slips in there. This was to fulfill what was spoken, right? He's done it a number of times already leading up to now, and so he does it here again. Now, there's something crazy about this. Uh, I'm guessing that if you open up your Bible, like me, I have software, and I have, I don't know, some, some huge number of translations. I couldn't find it in any of them, but... Some manuscripts, like, you know, original things they found, Greek, actually references Isaiah as the prophet, because it says, was spoken by the prophet. And so it references Isaiah, which, I mean, we have no record of Isaiah saying anything like this. Again, it's not going to show up in your Bible text, but that's really weird. The actual reference is back in Psalms, and for whatever it's worth, that particular psalm is attributed to Asaph. And so, in this case, Matthew, I guess we have to say that Matthew is considering Asaph to be a prophet. Just kind of interesting. But, Samuel, why don't you go ahead and read, uh, let's just do Psalm 78, verse 2, because it directly relates to this, so we can hear how it's said. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Yeah. And now Matthew kind of switches it around a little bit. He says, uh, I will utter what has been hidden. So think about that. Just listen to those words. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden. Well, Samuel, does that sound like he's trying to hide or confuse? Or does that sound like he's trying to bring things out into light, make them clearer? Clarity. Yeah. And some of these things hidden since the foundation of the world. But think about that. The more we read in the scripture, the more Paul and Samuel make sense. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just kidding. I had to set that up a little bit. Well, but I mean, seriously, if if you've been listening to the last couple of podcasts or whatever, and you, there's something in the back of your mind going, I don't know, these guys are a little crazy. Well, now we should sound less crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just good stuff. So, okay, now this is really interesting. So we have some parables, Matthew, Mark, they're telling us, yeah, he only spoke in parables to the crowds, whatever. Now listen to this next bit. So we're in Matthew, still in chapter 13. We're going to read verses 36 through 43. And I mean, just go with me. It's going to become important later, but just listen along. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, 
and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, boy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> this is get good. So here we see Jesus. Okay, he's explaining an earlier parable. It was the one about the wheat and the tares or the, the, the wheat and the weeds, the good seed, the bad seed, that part, right? And it's very clear at this point right here that he is only with uh, some disciples. It's not the crowds. He's in a house. And we don't really know how many disciples, but whatever. But this also acts as kind of like another Rosetta Stone. This interpretation helps us understand, helps us under interpret other parables. And I don't know if you noticed this, Samuel. This one is even better than the first one about the four soils, because this one really gets detailed and helps you see where we got some of the things we thought before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, and and I guess, you know, just so you know, we're not trying to act unfairly, but yeah, we have to read ahead some to figure out what we're going to tell you about the things that we're telling you about on one day. <laughs> it's how we, it's how we know stuff. But anyway, uh, okay. So it's another parable. Obviously it's the explanation of one. And guess what? It's about the kingdom. Surprise. <laughs> so, all right, Samuel. Now this, this should be easier this time. Who is the good sower? It's got to be Jesus. Yeah. So do you see how in each of the parables before, it was actually easier for us to look at that and go, oh yeah, makes sense. Jesus is the one doing the sowing. How about the evil sower? Who's that? Uh, Sons of the kingdom. So like those of the world. Uh, The devil. Satan. Okay. Yeah, not the evil seeds, the evil sower. Gotcha. And then uh, the field, this should now be easy, says it right in there. The field is the world. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about in all these parables, it's the world or possibly humanity, if you want to, you know, have that picture in your head. But now, okay, the good seed. What is the good seed? Well, these are... I'm going to call it the the true disciples. These are the ones that actually hear that gospel message and they respond. They pursue repentance. They pursue the principles of the kingdom. They are elevating God's will above their own. They are the good seed. Now, how about the evil seed? What do you think those are, Samuel? Uh, the opposite of true disciples. <laughs> that is the best way to say it. We could say that they're Satan's disciples, but man, that sounds a little mean, you know, whatever. It's basically any that aren't the true Jesus disciples, any that aren't the good seed. Well, then they're the bad seed, right? And how do we know them? What are they? Well, they're following their own desires. They are defining good and evil for themselves instead of letting God do it. They're elevating their own will above God's will. And that's, I mean, that, 
That's what we're seeing here. And now the end of the age, okay, I want to try to, again, sort of uh, split hairs on this one. I, I get it. We can easily carry this out to like the post-kingdom, final judgment, world to come kind of time frame. And I'm not denying that there aren't, you know, real connections there. I, I see it. I get it. But we, but we still have to remember the parables are about the kingdom. And so what we're trying to do is not push too far. This is speaking about the time of, you know, between now and Jesus's return. The kingdom, when Jesus comes back, it's going to get, I don't know what else to call it, cleaned up. Like as preparation for the, you know, like the literal fulfilled kingdom that is going to be here on the earth, thousand year reign, that kind of thing, right? And so when it's talking about the end of the age, it's talking about until the time when the literal kingdom would be present here on the earth as opposed to the not yet kingdom. That's what we've been calling it. Did that part make sense, Samuel? Yeah. Okay. Like, right. I mean, there's different ages, so we just have to discern which age Jesus is referencing here. Yeah, yeah. And th- see, this one is difficult because most of the time when I am trying to talk about ages, and I think when the scriptures are talking about ages— it would be when this world passes away. That would represent the end of the age. But here's where the difficulty comes. If you go back into your Old Testament and you're really trying to figure this stuff out, the reason it's so difficult is because there seems to be true confusion in the Old Testament scriptures and the prophets about the kingdom versus the end of the age in the world to come. And that gets clarified a little bit in our New Testament scriptures, but even then it's not super crystal clear. So I'm, I'm trying to make it a little bit clearer, but it, it's, it's a difficult topic. But anyway. Mm-hmm. And part of that's based, based on Jewish text, like centuries old that say this age versus the age to come. Yes. And they're referencing this age as the age that we're currently living in. And the age to come is what they're looking forward to, i.e. the Messianic kingdom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and it, it is. It's just a source of confusion. But let's go on. We got the harvesters. That one, uh, well, we don't know much. It's angels. There you go. You've now been taught. Uh, <laughs> then you have wheat. And, and this, the wheat is the sons of the kingdom. Meaning it's it's those who will enjoy the kingdom, those who will actually participate in the kingdom. But then you have the weeds. And I mean, I don't know what else to call it. They would be like the sons of Satan or the sons of this world or something, the opposite of the kingdom. And then it says that these weeds are also all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And that actually makes my brain have a little spark. Samuel, which law is it that they're breaking? Seems like the one that matters. That's God's law, Torah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A call, all causes of sin and all law breakers. Those who will be excluded from the kingdom. Well, now that puts a little fly in the ointment, doesn't it? Uh, So anyway, they get expelled from the kingdom or excluded from the kingdom is a better word. 
And instead, they're going to have to watch from Gehenna. Bad place. Part of the grave. Sheol. And then, and this is important. Samuel, where did those weeds get gathered from again? We'll gather out of his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So this now kingdom is growing and growing and growing. You've got the good and the bad side by side all together, and they're going to be gathered out of that kingdom. And that's just a very sobering image for all of us who are involved in the church, you know, community, country, worldwide, whatever. That's going to be a very strange time. Now, on one hand, we also know it's obvious that there are those who aren't part of his kingdom, like in any way. Well, okay, it's obvious that they're not going to survive this harvest. But, man, take note of this. It suggests that there are those who are intermingled in the body, the assembly, the church, whatever you want to call it. And I don't know, do we call them false disciples or pretenders or I I don't know, whatever they are, they're not going to survive the harvest either. That's a crazy picture. And not not what a lot of, that's not the story that a lot of people tell or that a lot of people hear. Mm-hmm. But this is what the parables are telling us, right? It's a big deal. Yeah. And then he adds this one little bit at the end, and this is really kind of weird. It says that the righteous will shine like the sun. So this actually relates to something back in the Old Testament. Samuel, uh, why don't you read from the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Now, let's let's just be honest here. You can easily hear sort of that post-kingdom, final judgment, world to come kind of feel in that text. And that just that's just uh, reinforcing my earlier point that, you know what? The dividing lines, they get a little blurry and it's hard to tell what's what. Okay, you can, but what are we seeing? What's the important part? There's this connection from righteousness to victory or kingdom or eternal life. And and listen to what it says. Those who are wise. And it's talking about those who their name was found written in the book. Those who shall awake to everlasting life. They're going to shine like the brightness of the sky above or the sun. But then it goes further. And those who turn many to righteousness. So, okay, your righteousness, that's pretty awesome. Going to shine like the sun. But if you turn others to righteousness, then you'll, you'll shine also like the stars forever and ever, right? So it, it's like, wow, it's a big deal. Now, we know 
this is things you hear people say all the time. Jesus is our righteousness. Well, Samuel, true or false? For sure. Of course true. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're free of responsibility. We must pursue righteousness. Okay, knowing that ultimately we're going to depend on his righteousness to fill the gap. Jesus's righteousness is for his sincere and loyal and faithful ones. It's not just for everyone. So it's an important picture. And then, of course, he ends with, hey, if you got ears, you better hear. Don't just hear. You better be paying attention. You better be listening and obeying. And my Southern Baptist roots are calling back to the hymn, which they actually got it right, but trust and obey. That's for right. There's no other way. <laughs> that was yeah. a really bad rendition, but they got the they got the message right. That's all right. We'll slap some auto tune on you. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah. So this was this was a really big deal. Now remember, he left the crowds, went into the house, he told them all that stuff, okay? Then we get down to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Well, he goes right back into telling parables. Listen to this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't be too surprised. It's another parable. Maybe we also shouldn't be too surprised. It's about the kingdom. Oh, what the heck. Surprise! (laughs) Right? But remember, he just said that they went in the house. And now he's telling parables again. And and he only spoke to the crowd in parables. He could have spoken directly to... So what's going on? Is he really still in the house? Or did Matthew... I, I, I don't know. But we we don't even know how many disciples were. We don't know if it's crowds or not. And and the funny thing is, as we continue through Matthew, this is going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. They say that he goes back in the house, and then all of a sudden he's telling parables again. But I don't know. A couple thoughts. Maybe, maybe this is kind of like earlier as we were reading, uh, where you know it said that he they asked him in private, but then the next thing you know he's back with the crowds. We don't really get any indication of it, but you know that it's it's so. Or, I, I don't know, maybe they're, they're putting together this book and maybe Matthew just thought of a few extra parables and he just tacked them onto the end. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's very strange, but, but on one hand, the text is completely clear. seems like they're in a house. And on the other hand, you, you get the sense that he's talking to the crowds. So, I don't know. It's very weird. But let's talk about the parable, because that's where we're at. So, you got this treasure. Uh, it's hidden in a field. And now, I don't know about other parts of the world, but here in America, I think people are, they're going to have trouble relating to that now. Because if we have something that's a value, we do very different things to try to protect it, whether it's, you know, simple things like safe deposit boxes or, you know, I don't know, maybe buy a safe for your house or this. We do a lot of things to, to protect things. But one thing we don't do is just go bury it in the ground. That's just weird to us now, today. But at this place, in this time, these people, there could have been any number of reasons. 
they would have felt it necessary to hide things. They uh, Maybe it's things they cherished, not necessarily of real value, but something they cherished, or things of actual real value. One of their hiding places, it was just a hole in the ground, literally. I mean, they'd cover it up, but I mean, they dug a hole, stuck it in, covered it up. Now, in this parable, what's interesting is that, I mean, you got to picture this. Somebody somewhere, they've got something valuable and they bury it. And let's just say they're the only one that knows about it. Nobody else knows and then they die. So the knowledge of this buried treasure in this parable has been completely lost. And so one day, some random guy, he just happens happens upon the treasure. And so now he's the only one who knows. And so what does he do? This is really good. He forfeits everything that he has of value in this world currently so that he can have this new thing, this new treasure. So it's this is this is a little different picture than the other parables we've been seeing. So the treasure, Samuel, you want to take a guess? Uh, well, if it's a parable about the kingdom, wouldn't it be the message of the kingdom? Close, yeah. I, I would say it's it's more directly the kingdom, not even the message about it. The treasure is the kingdom. He he has he's found it. And then you have the man, and, uh, okay, this one, I, I'm going to, again, because I read ahead, I'm going to call this a potential disciple. And this is very important to notice. This guy, he had no idea what he was looking for. He was just looking, at, looking around. He, he happened upon this treasure. But he sells all of his current possessions, everything that he has. So what would those current possessions represent? Uh, things of this world that are temporary and fading. Yeah. On one hand, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just material things, but it's also going to include pursuits, dreams, goals, whatever his current priorities are in life. He's going to get rid of it all. How about the field? Ooh, that one's tough. Yeah, uh, it is tough. Yeah, the field is, how do I say this? It's like actually becoming a disciple or being a disciple or walking as a disciple. That is the field. The seeking of the kingdom now, the hearing and the obeying, that is the field. That dude went out and bought that. He bought becoming a disciple so that he could have the treasure, the kingdom. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, there's a simple takeaway from all of this, and that is that the value or the worth of the kingdom far exceeds the value of anything, or we should say everything, of this world. Therefore, a wise man will trade anything and everything of this world in order to have the kingdom. Kind of a cool picture. Yeah, and that's it's a tough picture too in today's age and it makes me think like how do we balance what Jesus is saying here as 21st century followers of Jesus like is is he indicating that 
followers of him shouldn't have nice things or like that we should feel guilty for having you know like what you said uh material things pursuits dreams and goals or is it more like those things don't have a hold on our identity like being a disciple of god and putting his kingdom on a pedestal to everyone that we're connected with and that if if the choice came down to giving up those nice things that you have in order to continue being a part of God's team, you would be willing to do that. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, there's a number of ways to think about this. I, I'm reminding of that phrase uh, goes something like, it's not so much what you own, but what owns you. So, so that's kind of instructive, right? You can get the, the meaning behind that. But I think that there also is... And and especially for all of us here in America, <laughs> we could really simplify. We could really cut gigantic portions of our life out and not really be missing anything mm-hmm. and be able to to throw so much more into our pursuit of the kingdom. Uh, but it, it it's about priorities. It's about given the choice, any choice between kingdom, pursuit of the kingdom, righteousness, obedience, et cetera, et cetera, any of those things versus anything else, which are you going to choose? And of course, life is what it is. We, I mean, you're still going to be involved in mundane things. You're still going to have a job. You're still, right? You, you can't just totally go out in left field, leaving, you know, all of your responsibilities and your family and everything else behind Unless, and I, I, this has got to be a super rare and super special occasion, unless God were to tell you to, but for normal people, good, sincere Christians selling their whole life out for Christ, they're still going to have normal, normal stuff, jobs and, and responsibilities, bills, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, like everything. We, we have to figure out how to put this thing in balance. And by the way, that reminds me of another thing. Let's say you got a job. Let's say you got, you know, you even even the things that you do around your home, taking out the trash and you know whatever. Part of what we do as Christians is we are involved in mundane things. But if we do those things with our mind set on Christ and the kingdom and all of that, we actually elevate those mundane things to holy. And so it's, uh, I don't know, it's uh, so much to it. It, it, Did I answer your question at all? I kind of got off talking about whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I think you did. Okay. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So you got to be careful. You can't get me going because I, you never know where I end up. Let's, uh, let's end up at Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. See what it says. Uh, It says this again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so another parable, also about the kingdom. Surprise! Now, this parable, uh, I'm sure you heard it as we were reading it. It's very much like the last one about the hidden treasure. 
But there is one really big difference. The man who finds the treasure, right, we get the sense that he just kind of stumbles upon it, maybe by accident, whatever. In this parable, the pearl is found by a diligent seeker. Interesting, right? But then the rest of the parable is very much the same. So you've got this merchant, right? He was just like the man. He, he's a potential disciple, except in this case, he's one who really is already looking for the kingdom. The pearl is just like the treasure. What did we say that was, Samuel? Oh, uh, that is the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And then the current possessions, I think that we can make a direct correlation there. It's the material things. It's also pursuits or dreams or goals, whatever your current priorities are in life, all the same stuff. And then, this is kind of good, trying to connect it to the way we did the field in the last one. Well, here, the only thing we have left is the purchase price, what he paid for that pearl. So what does he pay for the kingdom, Samuel? Uh, His life. Yeah. Being a disciple, seeking the kingdom now, hearing and obeying it, right? That is the price that he is willing to pay for the kingdom. And he does that by getting rid of all of the rest of the stuff in his life that's not that. Really an awesome picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, if we, if we ever make it into Paul's letters, you know, he's going to talk a little bit about a new creation and how we have to, you know, be without sin and this, and it, you know, it, it, some kind of, those pictures are a little bit weird, a little bit scary, whatever, but this is what it's talking about. It's talking about getting rid of everything in this world and just being a seeker of the kingdom, a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of the kingdom, son of the kingdom, all of that. It's a good picture. Mm-hmm. All right. Where are we? This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 to 50. Boy, this is a good one too. Uh, it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo! He he likes that phrase. (laughs) Yeah! Two times this podcast so far. That's right. So, uh, let's see. Well, here's another parable. Also about the kingdom. Surprise! Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'm sure you noticed this parable. It's a lot like the one with the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds. Except this one's about fish, which obviously adds a new flavor to the story. That's... Pun intended, yeah. So, uh, you know, we've already, we've set up so much of this, I think we can just go right into the, you know, what is each of the piece parts here. So, the net... The net is is like the the kingdom itself. It's the thing. It's the big draw, and it, and it gathers in all types. So that kind of fits with all the previous uh, parables. And then there is the sea, where all these fish are, and so that kind of represents you know the world or 
a field that we talked about before, you know, different things like that. And then you have the fishermen. And these are the angels at Jesus's return. We've already talked in other parables about angels are the harvesters. So now angels are fishermen. And again, you can hear that that uh, there's like this tension. It, you could draw some connections to the final judgment, post-kingdom, world to come, all that. But these are about the kingdom. And so we're sticking with, no, this is around Jesus's return. And you have good fish. So just like all these other parables, uh, who are these good fish? They're kind of like the wheat uh, in some sense. But these are the righteous. They're the ones who hear and obey, the ones who seek the kingdom above every other earthly thing. And then you have the bad fish. They are the evil and the wicked. They're the ones who define good and evil for themselves. They raise their own will above God's. They seek after their own desires. And then, uh, well, here's another fiery furnace. And again, we're relating this to Gehenna, that part of the grave. We don't want to jump ahead to the lake of fire or any of that final stuff. It's, it's Gehenna. And so the big takeaway from all this, uh, well, it's a lot like the wheat and the weeds parable. So, so you got this kingdom, and in this case, it's drawing many, many, many to it. And, and many are going to appear to be included, just like the wheat and the weeds were together. Now you've got good fish and bad fish. But in the end, they are going to be separated. Only the wheat, only the good fish are going to be included in the actual, literal, fulfilled kingdom, the not yet kingdom. There's a many that are going to be tossed out, or as we talked about in the earlier parables, that will fall away. So we have to strive to be the wheat or the good fish or the good soil. Now, many of us, we're going to be a part of the harvest, whether we're you know, a plant or a fish or whatever it might be. But some of us are going to be the good fish and some of us are going to be the bad fish. And so you you have to ask the question, what is it that distinguishes the good from the bad? Well, it is the sincerity, the loyalty, the faithfulness, the pursuit of righteousness. It, that is the thing. And, and it has to be the righteousness as God defines it. And so you have to make room for the Torah, the law. We're not covenantly bound like the Jews are. We all get that. But these are loving instructions from a loving God to all humanity. And so we can take advantage of the gift that is the law. As we do that, that's how we show our faithfulness. That's how we show our loyalty. And you know these scriptures. It's how we show that we love him. You can't just read over those verses. That's what distinguishes the good from the bad. And so when you look all around you and you see all sorts of people that, you know, we would categorize as Christian, well, some of those you got to look at them and go, I don't know, in the end, it says some of us are going to be good fish, some of us are going to be bad fish. Well, you want to distinguish yourself by pursuing these things. These things don't save you. That's not what it's about. Jesus is the one that, that accomplished the salvation. God works all that out. 
This is, it's more like an identifier, a marker. I'm on your team. So anyway, that's that parable. I love that image so much. Um, I want to go back just a minute because there's something within this parable that I'm struggling with. And I, it may just be because I, my mind slipped, but I, I'm coming from a potential listener who might be wrestling with the same thing. So is Jesus saying here that like the bad fish that are thrown out, if this, if he's talking about the time of his return when the literal kingdom is going to be established, does that mean that at his onset of his return that all like unrighteous people are going to be like automatically sent to Gehenna until like the final judgment where they're going to be resurrected to their new bodies and then like finally judged? Or does it just mean that there's going to be people who fall away due to not pursuing God's wisdom and their own desires and wickedness and everything? Like help me out with that. Yeah. So it's a complicated issue. And and it's I don't know how we're ever going to get to the point where we can just have a really big discussion about it. We won't do it here. But you know that when Jesus returns, there's going to be, uh, it's going to be kind of a big deal, right? And you're going to have some people, some people who are resurrected. You're going to have some people who remain on the earth uh, while the kingdom is going on. You're going to have some people who they'll they'll either. Uh, Maybe they'll die at that time. They will have died before. They may die while the kingdom is going on. The point is, and maybe this is the important way to say it, Samuel. Maybe this will get at your question. The kingdom is like the special thing. You're aiming for the kingdom. You want to be a part of the kingdom. And so there's only those special few that are going to get to do that. That's the the narrow gate or the narrow way, right? The path that few travel. And we can't confuse this with final judgment. Not getting to be a part of the kingdom does not mean that you are automatically bound for whatever the opposite of eternal life is. And people argue whether it's eternal conscious torment or eternal destruction or, you know, whatever, right? There is a judgment that occurs after the kingdom. And so it is possible that you didn't make the kingdom, you had to watch from outside, and you still might in some some way, you are judged and you get to go into eternal life, but you missed out on the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who they miss out on the kingdom and they're going to miss out on eternal life. The thing is, we say uh, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, all right, Part of, part of why that's difficult for us to take is because we, we have said that Gehenna is a place of punishment of some kind. It's a place of uh, uh, torture or suffering, maybe is a better word, something like that. But what we, what we don't know, and this is, there, there's so much about kingdom and the world to come and other, that we really don't know. But, but, but in trying to piece it together... We, we don't know how long a person has to remain in Gehenna. And we don't even know what sense of time a person has when they're in Gehenna. So many things. It's very hard. So could it be that there are those who don't qualify for the kingdom 
and yet they're not in Gehenna or they're not in Gehenna very long or something? Well, sure. Yeah. In the parable, I mean, they're bringing up these points and we're getting down in these, you know, difficult details because we just don't have the information. God hasn't revealed enough for us to know all this stuff. The real point of the parable is only to say, look, there's going to be a kingdom. And guess what? There's a chance you won't get in. So if you really, really, really want to get in, well, you need to be wheat or you need to be a good fish. And and it also gets across that idea of, yeah, and this kingdom, it's like it's starting now, it's inaugurating now that Jesus has come, but it's going to grow over time. And and there's going to be like the ultimate fulfillment of that kingdom. So all of these things work together and, and I, I don't know, is that getting at your question at all? Am I helping at all? It is. I... <laughs> I know we got to let our listeners go, but I have another question that yeah? does apply to this, and I think we'll continue this topic very well because you said that there are potentials for someone to miss out on the kingdom and get to still experience eternal life, and then we take that little nugget and then bring it back to what Jesus has been saying this whole time with parables being about the kingdom with how much he is stressing it, and so... And I don't come across like I'm having some type of crisis, but I just, it's, it's an honest question. And I think other people are probably asking it too. It's like, well, what's the, what is the benefit of being able to experience the kingdom if someone might get to experience eternal life after that? Like, what is this, the specialness about the kingdom that is why Jesus is stressing it so much for us to get to experience like whenever that happens Uh, does that question make sense yeah yeah it does and and again it's complicated uh there's there are a number of things and now i'm going to go back to remember how we talked about ages and how this Mm -hmm. age you know often represents the end of this world before there is the world to come so there is this idea of now wait a second God created everything good, very good, and God is returning us to that place. And so what you are, you are getting to be a part of is God's redemption of this world and this age. Now, it's not as, I don't even know what the right word is, complete or perfect or, or something as the world to come. But it is the resolution, the reconciliation of this age. And so there is a specialness to it. Also, there's the idea that Jesus is going to be on the earth ruling this King Messiah. And in some sense, we rule along with him. So that's kind of a special thing. In the world to come, it's different. God is literally dwelling on the new earth with man. And so you don't have that same King Messiah vibe going on there. And, you know, there's a few things that we've already talked about here and there. Uh, This idea that you actually can experience in some limited measure the the kingdom today, now in this life. That I mean, that's a thing. And, And I don't know, in some sense, you know, we it's as if we're playing a role in bringing 
that not yet kingdom into being. I, you know, I get it. God's in control. He's going to do it all. But, but it's like we're, we're participating in that. And, uh, well, I, I don't know. Simple one, I guess. Hey, uh, no Gehenna for you. That's kind of a good thing, right? And so part of it is that we often confuse the end of the story. And and we don't realize just how little there is that we know about the big ending, which is the world to come, the new earth, and, and all of that. And and we miss out on the point that, look, Scripture, for the most part, you know, I don't know, call it 98% or something, what's the goal? It's the kingdom. It's not the world to come. Uh, now, obviously, ultimately, <laughs> we do want that big ending, but we've, we've not been given any real information about it. So in the context of the scriptures, in the context of what God has actually revealed to man, the only real goal that we know about is the kingdom. And so do you want to be the guy taking the risk? Well, let's see. I don't know if I necessarily have to be a part of the kingdom as long as I make it into the world to come. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't want to be that guy? So it's, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I totally get your question. And I know my answer has to be kind of unsatisfactory because guess what? We don't know. We don't know everything about those ends. And so why, why is it so important? Well, I don't know. It's kind of, it's almost as if you're saying that the kingdom is almost like this version of reality that we can connect to based on our lives that we're experiencing here and in the now. Like all the sense of justice that we want to see happen on the earth, um, you know, taking care of the oppressed, creation being stewarded and cared for, like. It seems as if Jesus and what you're defending Jesus saying is that the, that is the kingdom. Like, as much as we can see God's redemptive power happening within the earth as we know it now, like still like semi-broken, but still good, Yeah, that's the kingdom. There, like, it'll go to its fulfillment in the world to come, but there, there is a transcendence there that is maybe beyond our ability right now to fully comprehend, relate to. And so what we're given to relate to is the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you, you've you sparked another uh, image in my head. Okay. Why is it so special to be able to do even a single righteous act in this age? The answer is because it won't mean anything in the world to come. There won't be anything but. It, it, it's, everything's going to be perfect. And so in the same way, we can look at this and go, hey, all right, we're living in you know a fallen world, this, that, whatever. But every good thing that I do has great value because there is so much sin and evil around us. Well, in, in a way, the kingdom, as you, as you were talking about, it kind of represents, yeah, but what if we could see all of that justice and mercy and charity and forgiveness and all of those good things actually come to fruition? In the world to come, yeah, that'll be true, but it won't be special. 
here on this earth, in this age, that is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Returned from the depths, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 that, that's got to be, that's got to be the specialness mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Paul, you've helped. I feel better. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are way smarter people that have a lot better things to say, but... Hopefully other people feel helped, too. Yeah, I'm the poor man's scholar, (laughs) which is no scholar at all. (laughs) We said that all the way back in episode one. (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right, so Samuel, uh, you know what? We got to get out of here. But we do got to get out of here, but there's something else we need to announce first. Yes, lay it on us. So this upcoming Wednesday, we are going to be releasing another episode from our interview series. And this is going to be a part one of part two series because our conversation was so rich and so long with them. We will be interviewing Dave and Caitlin from Blue Gospel Scripts out of Denver, Colorado. Yeah, you don't want to miss this. These guys are awesome. And, teaser, we're also going to be able to include one of their songs at the end. So that's kind of a little bonus for you, right? But yeah, yeah, be sure and listen to that when you have an opportunity. And we're going to release that this Wednesday and the part two the following Wednesday. So definitely look forward to that. All right, now let's go for real. (laughs) Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.